Hello, me popsicles. Why don't you grab your multipass, a drink, and come sit with us? Let's pick each other's brain. We want you to be part of our intimate conversation about science fiction topics. Let's do this. Join us and let's talk about science fiction topics and books, movies, TV shows, and games. At Science Fiction Remnant, you are invited to listen in. Listen now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget your multipass. Good evening, all you lovely cats and kittens out there in internet land, and welcome to Spears on Point. My name is Tony Spears, and this is a show where I take my love for all things video games, and I push that aside, and I endeavor, quest, no, nay, make it my mission to find people that make the things that I love and get to know them more. So today is actually a very special uh, episode, strictly because I sort of accidentally stumbled into this interview where I didn't realize that not only did I have a great guest just sitting there in my back pocket, but I also have arguably one of my best friends that also happens to be a game developer. So without further ado, I would like to introduce the first guest of the new run of show for Spears on Point. The one, the only, 
Kurt Schoenberger. Hello, my dude. How are you? Howdy. I'm doing good. So for people that don't know, I like we we've done a lot of different projects together. We've done like streams together. We've we've made uh, varying degrees of quality of content together. Um, I, I think it started back in around like 2014 when we did the Tennessee Children's Hospital collaboration. No, yeah, we yeah that was. I think that was our first collaboration project, at least. Yeah, that was a that was a good one when we did. Uh, that that was extra life that first year. It, the second year was the car accident, right? Or was it? The, no, was, it was the first year. Yeah, it was. The that first was when year. we were all local with Sam still. Yeah, before he journeyed the world. Yeah. So that was yes, that was a very interesting, uh, a very interesting year, and again, a very weird time for me to be like, "Hey guys, help me with this thing," because we didn't know each other that well at that point. I had met you guys while I was in Korea uh, through my cousin uh, Chris, and he was like, "Yeah, you should meet uh, Chris with a K and Kurt." And they're all really cool. You should, you know, talk to them. We can all play games together. And I'm like, all right, sweet. And then we all, you know, became fast friends. That's where the game Mr. President came from, <laughs> where we were mm-hmm. all playing PUBG together. And we're just making stupid, fun games, which that was really fun to do. Oh, I still remember it. Hey, guys, I got to go. My sergeant's here. And we're <laughs> like, uh, hop in the vehicle. We got you, Mr. President. <laughs> Yeah, it was a very fortunate round for me to be the president because, yeah, I had a room inspection come through like while we were playing and I was like, all right, I got to go. I'll be right back. And you guys like, wait, what do we do? And you guys like, I think you guys were guarding me in a like in a connex or something like that. By the time I came back and I was already down and like someone was Mm -hmm. carrying me. Yeah, it it was it was insane. But so, you know, and then obviously that goes into us doing extra life that year where you guys got hit by a car and well. You got into a car accident with another car and still managed to pull it off. And, you know, we, it was, it, it was honestly a great stream. Like you guys were just dead by the end of it. I, I remember going back and watching uh, the recording of that and just seeing you like how absolutely miserable you guys were by the time you got to the end of that 12 hour block. I think, I can't remember what you guys were playing. You guys were playing uh I think you guys were playing league or something like that. I can't remember or rocket league or something, but you guys were just like, like no one was talking. You guys were just in the zone, just trying to stay awake. And I was just like, wow, what a bunch of chads. It was a bit rough. I mean, we were kind of full of adrenaline earlier in the day after a car accident. And so lo and behold, 12 hours later, you're worn out mentally, yeah. physically, and on the edge of collapse. I know the second we hit offline, five minutes later, Chris and I were like, all right, we're going to the EMS hospital now. Bye. Peace. <laughs> yeah. We left all of our computers and everything there. Yeah, that, that was definitely a a very strange, I don't know, it, it, that was a, a very strange 24 hours where like, it was like, it was like, oh my gosh, Kurt and Chris got got into a car accident. I was like, oh my God, are they okay? And you guys like sent me the patient and you're like, we're good. We're on our way. And we're like, oh my God, what the hell? And you guys still showed up and. Yeah, but oh, so, I'm so so that none of the stuff in the car was destroyed, like the computers. Yeah, and that was the thing too. Like you guys were traveling with your computers, like old school land party style, yep. and so it was a lot of like, "Hey, man, we like we got to get over here. We got to make this happen. Let's go." So they, you know, and you guys, and you guys pulled through. 
but so what uh what i did want to talk about though and kind of like bring to the fore is like you and i have had a lot of discussions in a lot of different formats both on the internet and off the internet about video games and things like that and then one day you just i remember like we were all in messenger and you're like i'm gonna make a video game and we're all like yeah man go go for it and then that turned into like you throwing questions out and like posting like like little snippets of stuff and then one day you're like yeah like i have like a working build going and i just i remember just sitting there being like wait what okay cool and then that led to you like actually releasing a game on steam that and uh the the game for those that are not familiar is uh the heroes of xanferth if you have not played it you should because if you like any old school JRPGs like Final Fantasy 4 or Final Fantasy 6. It is like it is right up your alley, but it has a lot of really good it has a, a lot of really good like what's the word I'm looking for? There's a, there's a lot of modern sensibilities put into it when it comes to like certain like uh like mechanics and aspects and stuff, but it still very much plays like a classic RPG and that's mm-hmm. and that's great. But what I wanted to talk to you about though was like Kind of walk me through that process because like, you know, I saw a lot of the highlights and stuff, but never any of like the real down and dirty of what you were dealing with in making the game. So like the only thing I did was you asked me to cut you a trailer. And so I just like I threw some stuff into Sony Vegas and and you gave me some music and everything. And I did a an OK job at making a trailer for for Steam Early Access. But like walk me through that that process. Oh, I mean, where do you want to start? Like, if you go back to the very beginning, like, I've constantly been a part of, like, building worlds for a long time since I can remember. Like, I've loved being moderators for games or even miniature game developers. I actually had my first experience with being some kind of game mod at around the age of 12 or 13. And I was playing a mod game called the Unofficial Squaresoft Mod. And it was just all text. And it was based around a collaboration of my favorite games, Chrono Trigger, Secret of Mana, Final Fantasy 7, 5, 6. And they're all just smashed together into this world with a Final Fantasy tactics style job. Hmm. But because there's all these different worlds, there is a lot of content to cover. Thankfully, being a text based mud game, you don't have hardly any space that you get to take up. So there's no graphics you have to worry about. It's all just writing and descriptions. So I got in charge of making the, I think it's called the Ancient Cave in Chrono Trigger. Mm. And so I had to go through and play the Chrono Trigger game in the Ancient Cave. And I had to go through and like map out each zone. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I submitted it to them and the people were looking at it and they're like, okay, the map is fine, but where's the description of the levels? And I'm like, oh, it's a dark, damp cave. And they're like, okay, well, describe like the stalagmites, describe every little thing you see and they kind of gave me a walkthrough of what it's like to design the actual levels like understanding how everything has a place for a reason is it there to add ambiance is it there to just make a different area of the screen look different so you don't go through two screens that are exactly the same because if you've ever played the original zelda you come across that four-way crossroads and you go one direction it's the exact same another direction it's the exact same you just feel like you're not making progress so you need to find ways to make like each different thing stand out. And I just didn't realize how much effort that was going to take. 
going through and having that first little experience to build that corridor of the game was a phenomenal, amazing time where I got to really get my hands into the game development side of things. And I did it at an incredibly young age. So then at, so then at that point, like you, you get that experience and everything, but when you're getting the idea to do like heroes of Xanfirth, what, what leads to you like one day, like having the idea, like did the whole thing spring forth, like fully made in your head, you just needed the tools to do it. Or was it a thing where like you had the tools, but you were looking for a stone to, to shape. Like I, you know, like, I guess I'm basically asking, was it, was it the chicken or the egg? It was more or less the first one. Like, I've been creating this world that I wanted to just kind of have my own little story in. And I thought maybe I'd turn it into a book or turn it into some other weird project. And I eventually, I've just had that itch since I started that first Ancient Cave Corridor to kind of want to build games more and more. And eventually, I started coming across the tools, which were the RPG Maker Engine series and learning how you can develop games through them, the differences between like those, Unreal, and Unity, all three of which have crashed my computer multiple times. It was <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> but finding tools that I understood that made sense to me were really what empowered me to be able to bring that story to the world. Okay, okay. So it was just a matter of like, like you had the story there already. You were just looking for the proper medium that you could work work within in order to make in order to flesh it out exactly and even going through that process so much of the world changed as i started building into the systems going through rpg maker and then i'm like okay they have this amount of skills so i have to change this idea i had that was like nine different facets of arcane magic and technology and just swap it around to okay well what if we were to swap this to an evolution some reason to make different kind of magics want to not be spammed on the same character, which led to the creation of like the black mage class. Whenever you cast a lightning spell, it leaves a debuff on your enemy that makes the next earth spell do more damage. Oh, okay. And when you hit them with earth spell, then it makes your next water spell do more damage. So you kind of get like a new cycle of not just going into a battle and casting the same fire raga spell five times on an enemy because it's weak to fire. Yeah. Uh, basically, like kind of solving the Pokemon problem of like, all right, I'm playing a, char I have a Charmander, and this is a Bell Sprout. I'm gonna hit it with Ember two times, and it's gonna die. Where more so, it's like, a, okay, I use Ember. Well, now I have to use some other attack because Ember won't be as effective. So mm. that's actually pretty smart. I hadn't really, I hadn't really realized that. I remember like when I played through it and everything that it was. It was applying debuffs, but I didn't know if like that was a, a byproduct of the spell I was using or if that was like an internal system, but that, that makes sense. So then you go through and you may and you get the game built and everything, and you're using, you know, using pre-generated assets and stuff like that. You're using RPG Maker. So at what point in the cycle of making it? Because a lot of people make games in RPG Maker and just like make them and like share them with friends or just play them themselves. But at what point in the process did you feel like, like where you said to yourself, hey, I'm actually going to publish this and like put this on Steam? So I was actually part of a community with Blue Suit. You've met him a couple of times. Yeah. And just being a part of them, we had like 30, 40 people who were consistently around. And I just made my little demo just to see if I could. Like, I wanted to know if it was possible to make kind of the game I wanted. And so I built like the starting area and the first quest. 
and he played and he was like, yeah, this is pretty fun. And a lot of people in the chat were like, yo, I want a copy of this. Where can I get this? And I'm like, well, I don't know how to make it available on Steam. Let's go see what that process is like. And so I looked up like the old school Steam Greenlight Access, which mm-hmm. is no longer a thing. They now just let anyone upload games, <laughs> which made it a lot easier. I imagine. But there is a stipulation where for every time you want to upload a game, they have like a $100 fee that you have to pay as a developer so that you can kind of have a slot reserved for your game on their servers. Mm-hmm. And basically it's like, okay, well, I want to be able to make a game and I want it to break even. So I've got like 30, 40 people in the server and I put out a poll. It's like, hey, if I make something available for $5, would y'all be able to support it so I can try and break even on this and see how it does? And I ended up getting pretty decent success. I ended up looking into other tools like Keylogger so I could send it all around the world because I had friends who were based in Sweden or Sudan and Turkey who just wanted to play the game. And so learning a little bit about like localization and how I wasn't going to be able to do that really hurt a lot. (laughs) But some of the things like Steam will handle a lot of the international monetary transitions for you. Mm -hmm. So if someone to pay for something in like British pounds, I just say, I want it to be $5 in US. And they say, that's roughly four British pounds. We'll charge them that you'll get whatever's left after the transfer rate. And then Steam takes their 20%. And so they streamline a lot of the process for you on like the back end, which is crazy and fun Mm -hmm. and really made it a lot easier than I was expecting on that side. That's interesting because I I mean, I imagine for like large developers, right? Your, uh, your Activisions, your EAs, uh, a lot of them probably run into the like, you know, like what is the break even point for us when it comes to, publishing this game on steam and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I imagine with, you know, your smaller scale projects, more, your more indie projects and everything, there is really a method of like, okay, if I put X amount of time into making this game and make what I think is a game that is worth $20, like the, I guess the best example would be like vampire survivors, right? You look at a game like vampire survivors, incredibly simplistic. It, you know, in its presentation, you know, deep mechanically and stuff like that. But for the most part, like that's a game that probably took someone the better part of a year to make with some very, with some very basic tools from the outset. It's much more complex now, but mm-hmm. like then it goes on to just sell gangbusters. And so I guess that does in a way kind of make steam very uh, approachable and very, uh, uh, what's the word? Very appealing to smaller developers. Cause it's like, if you do make something that you have a lot of faith in, you do have a chance of actually like making something off of it because, you know, because they do streamline that process, like you said, and the return, you know, your ROI, if you will, is actually pretty good because like, yeah, 20% is 20%. And like, you know, 20% of a $5 transaction doesn't leave you with a whole lot, but it's like anything else. If you get a thousand people to give you five, $5 after steam takes their 20%, you're still coming out ahead. Yeah. Well, that, that's interesting. So, so overall, do you feel like you achieved what you wanted to in making like in making your game? Like, do you feel like at the end of it, once you pushed it out there and it was available to the public, do you feel like for the most part you hit like maybe like the 95%? 
Oh, I thought you had something more. No, no, no. Like, 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 do you feel like you hit like, do you feel like you hit 95% of like what your target was? I did actually, because I told myself, all right, if I want to be able to get this to where it's a perfect black investment, then I need to make $100. And if I want to put out a sequel, I don't like that the game currently only lets me do things in this smaller aspect ratio. Because if you play the game, it's limited to, I think it's like 640p yeah. or something like that. So I wanted, I looked around and I found like the newer RPG Maker engine and how much it was going to cost when it went on sale. And I set that as my goal. I'm like, all right, so I need to make about $140 total. And in that case, I think I can comfortably reach this out to 30, 40 people. If I can set it to be $5 a pop, just something simple, I can make my money back and just be perfectly good. So then I changed it to going back to the demo that I had. I'm like, all right, what do I need to be able to create a game that I can comfortably say is worth $5? I've already got the RPG aspect. And so I went back to the days when I was reviewing games and writing for third-party publisher websites. Thought, okay, the main thing I want when I'm looking at a game that's about $5 is I want value. Can I get at least one hour of game time per dollar that I'm asking people to spend? Do I think that is a reasonable assumption? So I focused on a game that had heavy replayability with your 14 different classes available. Everything is customizable on how you want to replay it so you can have different strategies and different attempts. And then I made the main story of the game roughly five hours long. So then you have the replayability where everyone's going to get all that added value while still being able to experience pretty much the same content. And then I added in like some extra ARG storylines that I still to date don't think anyone has found except for the one uh, playtester that I had to coach him through how to find it <laughs> just so I could have him actually test the level. But it was very minor, and it was a fun clue that I got to hide. And knowing that no one else has found it yet is still kind of in a fun little achievement that I'm proud of. Hmm, nice. You have your own your own little slice of frog fractions there, where you're like, "Yes, mm-hmm. I have made this inscrutable this inscrutable design." It's a secret level. All the tools to find it are in the game if you're very careful and pay attention to detail. Hmm, interesting. It also takes a hint from one of my favorite puzzles in Final Fantasy VII. The original, which I won't tell you what it is, because there's a lot of puzzles, and that would make it too obvious. But saying, now, you, now you got me wanting to go back and play this game again. It was a very obscure puzzle. <laughs> so, so, okay, so switching gears. Mm-hmm. So, you you've gone through and you've made a game. You have experienced that. So, what like what is it? in the in the years previous to that that led you to that that one desire to make a game like like you you talked about um you know uh writing the the landscape uh descriptions for that mud that you were playing you also mentioned writing for third-party websites like what other like experiences have you had that kind of led you to wanting to develop like your own game at some point. Like, I don't get me wrong. Like, I too have had ideas of like what I thought would be like a pretty cool game, but I just don't. I've never had like the drive to actually sit down and do it because I I'm more a fan of like experiencing 
the art of of others as opposed to trying to like make my own right like i i know where my limitations lie creatively but but you actually like got yourself to a point to where you're like oh snap i could probably i could probably do this and then you actually went through and executed so like what were the experiences like the different things that you've done like before you made the game that led up to you making the game well i mean part of it was probably the fact that i've always wanted to be a showman of sorts so just that personality of not only do I make something really cool, I want other people to see it. Like when I was a junior, I was playing golf all the time. And so I'd be at the driving range with my dad, and I'd be getting ready to hit the shot. And then I'd pause and I'd look back to one and I'd be like, hey, check this out. It's going to outdrive yours. And then go back, hit it, do whatever. It'd be a terrible shot. But you know what? It was always that showmanship of wanting to show other people that I have something really cool that I think you're going to like. And being able to bring that to other people and share it with them has always been a lot of fun, whether it's being creative with like art and painting or just writing fun stories, which I've done multiple times in reviews or even just role play environments where I was a part of like Gaia online forums where we would create our own storylines for people to follow. And it was kind of like old school, super, super bad. D and D without dice rolls. <laughs> You're like it was absolutely terrible, but we had a great time doing it. Exactly. I mean, by I think everybody kind of starts out in that way. Like, I mean, like you and I have played a couple of D and D campaigns together, and like th- there is a distinct difference between the campaigns that I have run that you've been a part of and the campaigns that you have ran that I have been a part of. My stuff is very much like I. I just try and like make the setting and get the players into a into a space and like there is just a straight up objective and letting the players suss out how to get to the objective. All the campaigns that you have ever written have always been much more intricate in their story and have had like I mean like you have like you have li- written legitimate side quests and stuff like that into your like, into your D&D campaigns like Stuff that I, I never would have thought of doing. So I, I feel like you are a much better like world builder than than uh, you know. I mean, definitely more so than me, but like than a lot of other people that I have like encountered in that in that creative space. You know what I mean? Maybe, but I do feel like I'm particularly lacking when it comes to character building. Well, and that's, so, but I mean, but not everybody has all the strengths, right? Like, I mean, like not, not, not everyone is George R. R. Martin or Stephen King. You know what I mean? Like, no, but that's where I get a lot of the extra fun from like bringing in guests to come in and be like a one time, one shot enemy in my campaigns. Like where you came in and you were a mage who is shooting kobolds <laughs> out of a cannon across the countryside. That was pretty good. That was, that was a good time. Like there, there was a certain amount of mayhem that you were just like, let me get away with. And I was like, this is amazing. Hell yes, I will do this. Mm-hmm. You're the villain. Yeah, you do whatever. It's up to the heroes to stop you, not me. That was the that was the funny thing about that too. Is like there's a certain I think there is a certain like a bit of artistic freedom that comes with like like taking a person, you know, taking a friend, a colleague, whatever, and being like, hey, I need you to do this thing. Here's the role you're gonna play. I want you to just go wild with it. And like anytime I would ask you a question, you'd just be like, yes, do that. And I'd be like, are you sure? Be like, yes, you're the villain. Do that thing. It's like, oh my gosh. Okay. That's how the whole, that's how the cobalt shooting cannon came about. I was like, yo, can I just, can I shoot Koopas at him? And he's like, well, we don't have Koopas in this setting. And I was like, cause I was essentially playing Bowser is what it was. 
And I was just like, okay, well, can I shoot, uh, I don't know, kobolds in, at them? And, and you were like, yes, definitely do that. And I was like, yes. Like there's a, there was like this like weird freedom to it when you just kind of cut loose like that. But, but you also worked your story to allow for that. Like it didn't feel forced into it. You know what I mean? Like so much of bad storytelling and writing in my, in my experience can feel like things are forced into it to kind of like to fit the narrative or forced into essentially like create a certain skew in a setting. But you're all the stuff that you have ever written in your, in your D and D campaigns or in any of the other works that, that you have shared with me and anything, everything feels very organic. So I, I feel like, you know, if you're lacking in, in character, and character development, eh, that's fine. I feel like the world and the setting is probably a lot more important in the grand scheme of things. So I attribute a lot of that to my early RPG days where I grew up on very straight, very linear storytelling with games like Final Fantasy 2 and Lufia, where Lufia in particular, I went through and replayed it and I was messaging someone. I'm like, yeah, they've got... A, all this fun storylines that you can do. And then there's a side quest that you can go on to this ancient cave in this area. And someone's like, wait, there's a side quest in it. I'm like, yeah, there's uh, Oh man, that game doesn't have any side quest. That's just an extra area you can go to. Yeah. It is literally zero side quest. And so I got to looking at it and it's kind of like every different thing you do is just this. It has to lead you to go to here. It has to lead you to go to here. Why are you going to this other area instead of just going back after you completed your mission so finding ways to tie in like one thing to another and keeping it creative and finding all these different ways to do it was just something that kind of was ingrained in me as a person and also if you think about it too like all those all of those um games that you're describing you know final fantasy 2 uh lufia final fantasy 5 i mean 7 not so much but like so many of those allow the player to inhabit a character more as a cipher than anything else. You know what I mean? Like the main character that you're playing is kind of a blank slate in a lot of those games. And so, I mean, even in something as famous like Chrono Trigger, right? Like, yeah, like Chrono is a very familiar image. Like it's a very familiar, familiar character in like the art style and the way he's presented. But Chrono doesn't have any like character beyond the actions of the player. And so, like, so, it, 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 it does make sense that a lot of your inspirations were more, like, were stuck out more in your brain in the sense that, like, it was these amazing settings and set pieces and, like, the interactions with other characters and not so much the main character because the main character is just, like, this blank slate that the player inhabits. And when you go back and look at it at a day and age now, all the characters have a name. You go through the game and it's like, okay, this is Titus. He has voice acting, so his name will never change. But back in the old days, it was you put in your name, you take on that person. Mm -hmm. And since you're in another world, you can't talk to them. Yeah. And now the silent protagonist is going the way of the dodo, as you like to call it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's very true. Usual narrative, but I feel like it's one that was good way back when, when storytelling and character development was a little bit harder, when you had less time to get into them. But now character development is one of those things that's really coming forward as what is intrinsic in developing a new game in a series and drawing people in. So do you feel like it, you had any 
uh, type of inspiration from other from other medium. Like, I mean, you and I have had extensive talks about like anime, for example, right? And whenever I think of like the you know the the perfect game that I would make, so much of it is derived from like from anime in the grand scheme of it all. Like, like I always look at it as like I would like to play an anime that has good game mechanics as opposed to make a game that looks like an anime. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like do you, do you feel like there was any other influences outside of games that helped you to like to flesh out and to bring Heroes of Xanfirth to life? Maybe not so much Heroes of Xanfirth directly that I have like a direct correlation with, but I mean everything we do or everything we experience as people impacts us in a way, or rather consciously or subconsciously so there are definitely aspects where i tried to create different personalities and i drew from like different people in my world that i knew or different experiences i'd had that were kind of out there and i remember one of the characters what that i was talking about is a fire spirit in heroes of sandfirth and i was like all right i want something that can really set her apart from everyone else in the world and so i purposely had her speak in broken english and to do that, I was like, who do I know that has broken English? And so I went over to our buddy, Sam, and I'm like, hey, I've got these lines I want the character to say. How would your Thai students say them? It, because they're not great at English. And so a lot of her specific dialogue is very broken to say things like, volcano, bad, much fire, don't mm-hmm. go. And so it's actively trying to write on like, a bad level that is kind of a weird experience that I had to bring from the real life into the game because it's not something I'm used to. I'm a native English speaker, so having to write English from a non-English perspective is really weird. Yeah, someone someone told me once that the hardest thing to do in literature is write an accent to like like the I guess the the typical one is like getting someone to understand that this character is speaking like Cockney British. If if you're just reading it, it doesn't come across unless the author distinctly says he said in a, you know, in a Cockney British, you know, accent or whatever. But if you just have the line from the character, you'll never get that across unless you have mm-hmm. someone speak it and the person that wrote it explains to the person speaking it, "Hey, it's this type of character." You know, what I mean, like the like all the nuances that come with like voice acting or just acting in general. Yeah. So, so, but doing that in a game where like you do see the character, right? So you can get some type of like visual anchor on them to see like what this per- you know who this person is and what they are, and then it's not written out like a book. There's never a like you know volcano bad much fire. The fire spirit said. It's the picture of the fire spirit and then them saying the line. And so it's a it's a different form of translation. And mm-hmm. I and I and I feel like that was a that's a very ingenious method that you went through of like, hey, a friend that lives in Thailand and speaks, you know, native Thai Thai kids how to speak English. How do you think your students would say this, you know, particular phrase or whatever? you know, like tapping into that resource. And that's, I mean, and that's actually really cool. I actually didn't know that you did that. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. If you go through and replay all of her dialogue, it looks like broken English and 
perfectly bad syntax that you can still kind of get the message of what they're trying to say. Mm -hmm. But it's so, it's like the very it, it is like what what a non-native English speaker would do though is very much like like trying to get the literal words out of of like what they're trying to describe. You know, like like mm -hmm. volcano bad much fire instead of being like don't go to the big fire mountain that shit is hot you know that type of thing yeah <laughs> what well i mean so especially yeah, when cool. they start getting into where they're trying to explain the details of something mm -hmm. and the very minute things that you have to explain to the player but you also kind of need to keep them vague enough yeah yeah and that's i mean and that, i guess that's like that's the balance right is like trying to trying to give enough without giving too much when it comes to like story and the character and the way you're trying to describe things. Cause obviously if you just, if you just go word salad with it and try and like over, you know, over express everything, have characters go into like long diatribes and stuff like that. At some point you just hit a wall where you're, you're kind of working against yourself. But then on the flip side of that, right. If you don't, allow the character to say enough if you're not describing things well enough you're leaving so much ambiguity for the player that it's sort of you know it it, it it again ends up defeating itself so like that is a very fine line you have to walk there i can see where that would be hard so if you want an interesting lesson in writing honestly i look to the pokemon games because you don't think of their writing as very deep and complex right i mean no not really <laughs> Neither did I. And when it came around that I wanted to make a fan Pokemon game, like I've got my demo that I'm doing on Pokemon Requiem. I started looking at it and I'm like, okay, well, how can I get the players that go from point A to point B? And I go back and I'm playing these Pokemon games to see how they handle dialogue. And it's like their longest dialogue option in any game outside of like speaking to the champion is like three dialogue boxes long. Like you have three sentences in every situation to get your point across. Everything is usually done in one or two. Hmm. there is no expose in Pokemon short of like these newer generations. Yeah. So trying to find ways where you can get that information across as quickly as possible coming off of here's a Xanfirth where it's building this in-depth story world a bit more. It was a different take on learning how to write again in a different format. Huh. So it was kind of a neat experience. So, so do you feel like, do you feel like, like what are the biggest tools that you utilized in the making of the game and this new project that you're working on now? Do you feel like the biggest uh, like learning uh, tool was just, I mean, was honestly just like good writing. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, like just being a good competent writer. It's part of it, but understanding the fundamentals of how you want the game to function and what you want the game to be are probably the core building blocks of it. Because mm -hmm. when you get these RPG worlds like Luffy or the Final Fantasy, you need to have these large, indulging storylines because that's what people are interested in. When you come across a game like Pokemon, the story in the world is not so much the forefront of what they're trying to do. It's about the gotcha catch him mechanic that they have in place, trying to get as many as you can and experiencing a new world through the Pokemon that are available to you rather than just, I've got... Charizard, I'm going to go beat the first gym, catch something different so I can beat the water gym. You did everything you could to say, got you to not say, got to catch them all. I, I, I appreciate that. That's, that's, that's good stuff. <laughs> You're like, no, I'm not going to say the words. That's funny. But 
so then so then for your so for this new project that you're working on aside from aside from obviously the exam the obvious inspiration being pokemon and everything like what else from like your previous exper- experiences and stuff like that are you going to try and bring into it or like hoping you can incorporate into it to kind of set it apart so coming up with something that's unique is definitely difficult when it comes to a pokemon game you have your new maps you have maybe some new pokemon when you're in the pokemon fan world it's very hard to make new pokemon because there's a lot of stats and a lot of things to make when you could just put anything else that's already pre-generated in there from over 900 pokemon and it's probably going to be a new experience for someone because most people don't play all the pokemon generations i mean that's very true i I haven't played Pokemon since I think Gen 5. And there's been a lot. <laughs> so, sorry, I'm spacing out a little bit. My no. ADHD is catching on. What was the question again? No, so like for this new project, what are you what are you trying to bring into into this new project? Uh mm. from like from like previous like inspirations and stuff like that. I mean, obviously besides Pokemon. So, finding a way to make it unique. And one of the things that I actually got a lot of praise on with Heroes of Xanfirth was I had multiple people come up to me and they're like, yo, I play RPG Maker games. This is kind of okay. It's pretty average. And I'm like, yeah, that's about what I expected. They're like, but you have so many side quests in this game. RPG Maker games don't have side quests. And they'd ask me, like, why did you do that? And I'm like, because it's an RPG game. Don't you want side quests? Yeah, don't you want things to do? And they're like, yeah, but... It's unexpected. I was happily surprised. I'm like, thank you. Are, are you complaining <laughs> or? <laughs> yeah. Is this criticism or, or praise? I'm confused. That's and funny. So I think trying to find a way to like make some side quests available in the Pokemon world. Mm-hmm. Like there was one side quest I came across in the Pokemon Rocket Edition that I played. That was kind of new. And I liked how it had an actual impact on the world when you did it. Hmm which was you go in, you steal Pokemon from people, you get a bounty that goes up. Okay, cool. It doesn't really do anything. But then once you get your bounty high enough, like it's like, oh, you have a bounty on your heads. You can't use a Pokemart anymore, so you can't go buy items. Oh. oh that's huh. interesting. But once you get your bounty over like 100k, you can go in with a gang and rob Pokemarts. What? Yeah. And I'm like, that is a really cool mechanic. Like, that is a great way to make being a bandit have some fun gameplay associated with it. How do you hold up? Like, like what do you like? What do you do in that instance? Like, I'm I'm thinking like I'm trying to think like in universe. Like, do you just walk in with a Charizard, Charizard, and be like, empty the register, or the whole place gets torched. I'll have him do I'll have him do Ember on all of these freaking t- on all these potato chips. And then it's game over for you fools. Like uh, you make ju- sure you don't hit the burn heels first. Yeah. Like, are you gonna like walk in with a squirtle and be like, water damage? You got insurance for that? Bet you don't. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's great. I'm sorry. I'm just picturing that in my head. Like, I wish I could see that in a, in a like in a 3D space. That'd be hilarious. That would be pretty cool. It would be hilarious, right? Like, walk in and be like, nobody move, <laughs> nobody moves, or this trubbish is gonna go off. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> that's funny you just walk in open your like bomber jacket and be like i got electrodes strapped to the nines who's going down <laughs> i have a like oh my gosh they all know detonate that's funny <laughs> oh that's a terrible joke but <laughs> <laughs> okay so <laughs> sorry i i don't even know where to go from uh but from robin pokemon unique 
yes. and quality. So, like, finding a way to really do something different mm-hmm. with the Bogwan game is definitely tricky. And so I've been toying with the idea of, like, what if I can put people in charge of the gyms and like go and beat people there and just be like, you're not worthy to run this gym. You're out of here. I'm putting my own guy in charge and like having to manage like them and their Pokemon somehow, I think would be really neat. So you can try and make people be like, okay, so many people are getting too many badges to get through your gym. You need to adjust something like you can send them away to like a Pokemon training center for a week to make them stronger. So let's get through or change their roster up to flow better so they have counters to different matchups you can only do that though if you have like the og gym leader you kicked out like he comes back but like he's off he's off screen right and then all of a sudden just text box and in all caps it just says usurper i challenge you (laughs) and he like comes back and all his pokemon are way buffered now and you're like oh crap and seeing as how there's a lot of assets like from the old pokemon generations that are available in these fan games Mm -hmm trying to come up with ways that make use of some of the older assets in new ways. So like in this, the first gym leader that you run into is Brock. Yeah. Okay. Well, Brock's taken over a gym over in the mountains. That was originally a flying gym. Okay. Well, he doesn't work with flying Pokemon. So let's find a way to make him have some flying rock Pokemon. So let's give him an Aerodactyl that makes sense for the gym, the location and the character. Oh, interesting. That, that's cool. It's like you're you're just looking at ways to like take the things that already exist in the universe and just kind of like like throw them in a pot, mix them together, and, and just kind of see what you can come out that like that you know not to keep using a food analogy, but like that fits the flavor of what you're trying to achieve. That's that's exactly. good. That's smart. I honestly, man, like I I feel like there's there, there's very much a different mindset that comes to that that comes to the fore when you're talking about. Like just like, I mean, building not just the mechanics of the game, but also the you know the settings, the characters, how it fits thematically and stuff like that. There's like a whole package type mentality you have to have when you come to it and everything. And I think that's something that a lot of people that, that just like myself that just play games and don't make games kind of take for granted. So we are coming up to the end of our time. So I do want to leave you with this last question, and then we are, and then I'm going to give you a chance to. Uh, to plug some of your stuff. But if you had to look back, what do you think is the number one like experience or like skill that you taught yourself that helped the most with, with developing your own game from front to start or from, from, from start to finish, not front to start. That's a, that's a zero, that's a zero sum uh, travel. Uh, the hardest part is staying dedicated to your cause is very difficult because you come across places where you're like, all right, I completed this chapter. I've got this storyline tied up. All right. I don't have anywhere for them to go now. And so I have no inspiration to write, no idea how I want to get things to go from A to Z because I need hit steps B through X on the Y. And just staying inspired is very difficult. And so those are those times when it really helped to have like a good group of people that I could fall back on and be like, Hey, I'm having inspiration trouble. Like what were your thoughts when playing this? Like what are things you feel like I didn't fully in, uh, flesh out things that you can go and explore further and just finding things like that to help other people really support me and having a good support team 
just made all the difference in staying motivated where I can be like, all right, I can go. I'm not really inspired to do the main story because I don't know what it's supposed to be. So I can go write like a side quest or just a random extra thing you can do. Like one of the things in Heroes of Xanfirth that I still haven't found a way to tie into the game in any way. Is there's just a random mansion out in the middle of nowhere and it's haunted by a succubus. And it doesn't unlock until you go do this other event. But it's just kind of like, it's just kind of there. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's just flavor. It's just here. Like, it's there to make the map not look so empty. And now it's just like, ah, oh, that is such a poorly designed area. Why did I do that? Well, you so, know, you, li- you, li- you live and you learn. So what you're, I think what you're really telling me, Kurt, is that game development was actually the friends you made along the way. Sure. <laughs> no, I. No, but having that support team really helped. Yeah. Just kind of keep me going and plugging away. No, I mean, and I do remember having a couple of conversations with you about like, I mean, you just like really running things by me as far as like, hey, like, what do you think about this? Or like, you know, what, like, what do you think should happen after the character does, you know, A, B, and C? So, no, I, I, I mean, I, I can definitely see where it would be difficult to keep that motivation going. And like you said, to keep the, to keep the inspiration going. You know what I mean? Like inspiration is not an infinite water hose. At some point that well can go dry and you need, you need to be blessed by the rains as it were to, uh, to, you know, kind of, uh, refill that, uh, refill that well. Well, now we have come to the point of the show, Kurt, where I am going to let you tell the people what you've got going on and uh, where you would like them to check you out if there's anywhere you would like them to check you out. Mostly I've just been working on like YouTube and fighting game stuff recently. I've been super engrossed in Street Fighter Six. I think I've been grinding multiple characters to gold or platinum or whatever the goals I set forth for myself are. I'm going to start branching out using the channel to contact other games, but that YouTube channel is just pcage, P-K-A-Y-G-E. You can follow me there, check out all my stuff. I have a little bit of other content outside fighting games, like where I post a review of the Armored Core 6 gameplay. That one was a lot of fun because I'm so hyped for it. Armored Core 6 is like my bread and butter game. It's the guilty pleasure that's like so far from anything else I've ever played. I love it. It's going to be so (laughs) rad. And other than that, check out Heroes of Zamford. Tell me what you think. It's available on Steam. It's free to play now, now that I've met my income goals to afford the new engine to start working on the other games. So it's available. It's free. Go have fun. Tell me I'm bad. Maybe I can get in there and patch some things <laughs> if they're too bad. It hasn't fully stopped in development, but for the most part, I'm pretty hands-off. Unless someone posts, like, a couple months ago, someone was like, hey, I learned a skill, and it's not in my chart anywhere so i go in look at them like they don't have access to that kind of skill um that's the wrong box that's ticked here Mm -hmm. click that click there update break my entire system for about six hours and hey look it's working again (laughs) right on well at least you're at least you're a you are a responsive uh game dev i i think we can all appreciate that so Yes. So once again, thank you, Kurt, for coming on. I greatly appreciate it. Also, yes, go and check out Heroes of, Z- of Zamperth. If you like classic JRPGs in even the slightest sense, this game is right up your alley. And yes, go and check out his stuff over on YouTube. I know I do. He posts a lot of really good content when it comes to Street Fighter VI and a lot of like analysis and breakdowns and stuff. Your one-minute Manon uh, 
uh, introduction was honestly like probably one of the better like just character breakdowns and like you know hey here's a here are the things to work on and look and look for with this character that i have seen as far as like you know like any content that's come out of street fighter 6 so like you know hats off to you on that man street fighter 6 is rough because there's so much of it that is just playing to what your opponent is doing yeah that it just comes down to i need muscle memory on my character i need to know what i can do when so i kind of approach it from a simple breakdown and execution point it's like these are the things that you should practice these are the things you need to get comfortable with this is your bread and butters and then slightly evolve as your own play style from there when you should do each one mm -hmm. Nope, it is all good stuff. But with that, I believe we are going to uh, call it for today. So I want to thank everybody out there for uh, tuning in, whether you're listening on the podcatcher of your choice or you're checking this out over on YouTube. Also, make sure you're heading over to uh, Blind Knowledge over on YouTube. If you like the other content that we got over there, go ahead and and uh, and leave a like, maybe even even subscribe over there. We've we've grown a lot in the past couple of weeks, and uh, we're just we're just trying to make good content that appeals to everyone, just like this show. Because my stuff doesn't appeal to everybody, but I know there's someone out there that likes this show, at least a couple hundred of you. So, thanks for that. Anyway, that's gonna do it for this week. Y'all have a good one. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. here at blindknowledge.com this podcast you're listening to right now is a featured blind knowledge podcast